Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program, you know, every day to give you some tools, a leg up in this crazy thing we call life. Welcome to the program today. Have we got a good show for you? We're talking reading, teaching your kids to read, you know, to learn, but mainly reading. It's hard to learn new things. Have you noticed this? B-Dog. I'm actually getting to that point in my life where I could do things differently. Or, well, I guess I know that there's probably a better way I could be doing something. <laughs> yeah. Or there's, like, a new th- like a new, a new tool to do it. But I'm just kind of like, I've done it this way for a long I'm doing it forever. Why change I'm, now? I'm doing it this way. I'm how old? Not even in my 40s. Wow. But you're – see, I think that happens because you're so burnt out with school. Well, yeah. And it's squished everything out of you. Your innards are now outards. I'm one big hernia. That is a great metaphor. <laughs> You've gone through the educational process. You are officially herniated. I am herniated. And Where's now it located? it's hard. You can try stuffing it all back in, but it's like you don't even care that your gut's hanging out That's... with your innards pushing through at, your outards. At what point is it I am more – hernia than person so yeah to become more of a person and less of a hernia would be detrimental i i think it's a killer metaphor thank you i don't know if it you know it doesn't sell education but we're very well no it doesn't it kind of makes education seem bad i personally don't read a lot of books i mean i have a lot of books but i don't ever just sit down and just read a book you even made a book i made a book i done made a book but i am here's the deal i don't I like parts of books, and I like articles and blogs. I don't... I like abridged books. I like abridged books. <laughs> Those do well with me. And See? you know what? I even take it one step further. What? I'll listen to abridged audiobooks. See, would you rather listen to a, an abridged audio book than read the book? I, well, it's it's the same... It's the same thing as you take the book, yeah. and then you abridge it, meaning you cut out the fluff. Yeah, do you okay? defluff it? Yeah, you you, uh, you you make it compact. Uh-huh. Audiobooks, it's I think it's like ten steps lazier, but it's kind of nice. But would you rather hear it or see it? I watch the movie. Okay, so you really cheat. Yeah. See, this is the problem. When I was growing up, they didn't have a movie accessible. You had to wait till some local station bought the rights to it and then showed it, and then you could see it. So you didn't know when you couldn't plan your schoolwork around. The showing of this movie you want to see. I can't tell you how many times the teacher would be like, um, we have this uh, we have this book that we're going to read. First thing, find every single version of it yeah. on video. And they'd say, well, you can't just watch the movie. Yeah, but if you watch the six versions that have been made over the past <laughs> 70 years, you kind of get well, it. Well, and then they, ingrate, they invented like that great thing called Spark Notes. Oh, yeah. So nobody reads books anymore. See, we used to have Cliff Notes. So we used to have that. Yeah. But well, like Sparknotes yeah. is great. It gives you like the analysis and the characters. It's a Sparknote shorter than it? a Cliff Note. Who knows? I don't know. I never looked at a Cliff Note. So. Uh, let's ask the experts. Sky is a Sparknote sh- more abbreviated than a Cliff Note. 
Because um, you <laughs> nobody cheats on their reading more than Skyboy. Well, hold up. I actually go the extra mile. I do the reading, and then I read the Spark Notes. That's the way to do it. Do you really? Yeah. I'm proud of you. Thank you. So because, you're not well, cheating. Sometimes, you're enhancing. Yeah, sometimes the actual reading can be very confusing. Yeah. Especially when it's philosophy. And yeah. I, I don't like that. No. I'm not good at that. So you read? I read and Cliff I do the Spark, Spark Notes. notes. Okay. I've you've used Cliff Notes before. But I've I think only, that's, that's all I've ever used. I think that's more your generation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, son. <laughs> yeah. Flip. Uh, there's YouTube. Okay, can I just tell you? I, I, I'm not, I wasn't going to say anything. But I'm learning something. Right now, I'm focusing. I have a new intention this week, which is to learn to meditate and to be present. Okay. So I got here early, uh, and I was out in the parking lot. Okay. <laughs> in a very nice pink shirt. Thank I you. It's add. actually red, but it looks pink. It looks, it's pink. It looks very pink. Yeah. It matches my skin. I'm going to go with salmon. Salmon. So I was out in the parking lot, and I decided I had a few minutes. I was going to YouTube a video of somebody teaching meditation. So I took a 15-minute meditation and started to you know, listen to it. And Did you get bored in the middle of it? No, but I woke up a half hour later. <laughs> so, But you know what? Here's the deal. I have never been more rested for the show. And I don't know if it was the meditation or if it was the nap. The power nap. Maybe it was both. Maybe it was a combination mm-hmm. of the clearing your mind, concentrating on what's important. Last night, I tried to read about meditation. Fell asleep. Hmm. So you were really meditating. I was mega meditating. Mega That's meditating. Exactly, yeah. So – I guess I could get a book on it, but why would I spend $25 for a book when I can get it free on the internet and it put me to sleep in like 10 minutes? In general, why spend money when you have the internet? See, that's what I think is happening. I think the publishing world is going away. Then they say get it on a nook, and I didn't even know what a nook was. I when know. I grew up, nookie meant something totally that was different. totally – And uh, – oh, yeah. Victoria's too young for that. Um, <laughs> anyway, that went right over her head. But nookie meant kissing. Lots of kisses. So I tried to put my stuff on a nook. Don't like it. I mean, I like not no name brand. I'm not. It's not. I'm not. Against. Well, actually, the, the nook is a single brand. The nook, yeah. But, but I mean, Kindle, fine. whatever. It's just I want. If I'm going to hold a book, it's I want to hold a book. I want to have paper. I want to take notes. You know? Okay. I reader. We had. Remember? Remember Catherine? Long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Long Catherine time ago. Worked Catherine. with us. Uh, she she told us one time, and this was it was funny. I think Rob said it. Yeah. Um, Catherine's in there saying, she's like, I just like the smell of a new book, but I also like, I like listening to books on, on audiobooks. And she's like, I can't find an easy medium. And Rob Hold was on, like, listening to books. She likes, oh, like audiobooks. Books. Okay. Um, but she it's also like, likes the feel of a book. Yeah. And Rob said, easy. You just, you just go somewhere. You just lie down, put a, find a new book, put it on your face and listen to the audiobook. Same experience, but everything you like. Why would you put it on your face? So you can get the smell. You get the feel yeah, of the pages. Nobody reads with it on their face. But she wouldn't read it anyway. She would just listen to exactly. it. Exactly. She was getting what she wanted. Everything. And then you could technically buy whatever book you want. Like the cheapest book out there because it still is going to smell the same. You don't have to buy a book. You steal save a book. Money. Borrow a book. Steal everyone's a book. Everyone's got a okay. book. Well, everyone's got a book. BYU Radio. Talk about good. No, but who doesn't have a book? Get a book. Doesn't yeah. matter the book. Lots of books. Lots of paper. Everyone's got a book. 
Just say, can I borrow your book? I just need to open it and set it on my face for a few hours. Yeah. Like what do you do you care what subject? No. What does it smell like? It smells good. It smells like book. That's a good point. See, but no wonder our kids aren't reading because now they have nooks and crannies and all these other types of books or and Kindles, Kindles and fires and, and yeah. See, I think it's I, I, I think I think we got a problem. I think we have an epidemic and we don't even know we have an epidemic. What's it called when you're blind to the upcoming epidemic? We've got that. Uh, human history. <laughs> we, we are blind like human history has shown a bazillion times. We have an epidemic. Kids aren't going to learn to read. We didn't even have you, – you would learn to read whether you wanted to or not because Sesame Street would make sure you learned to read. Well, at least learn your letters. I don't know about words. Yeah. But this show is brought to you by the letter F. Really? Is that today's show? Yep. F. We need a number. Oh, and, and the number, number two. Here we go. Not the number two. Uh, two is such an unimpressive number. You're what? the one that threw it out I there. I know. I'm going with seven. Go, well, Seven's good my favorite number. number. I like seven, it. Seven, I guess. Seven's like my favorite lucky number. Everyone likes that number. The letter F and the number seven. Okay, that's from now on today's show. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Coming up on the show, we're talking, though, um, teaching your kids to read. This is one you're going to want to listen to. So if you've got grandkids or kids, we've got an expert. Pam Allen's going to be joining us. Teach us how to get our kids to read. I have a son that doesn't necessarily think he ever needs to read a book. See, now here's the irony. I didn't like reading in high school either. But back then, there was no other option. I know. Like what? (laughs) Wait, how old is he? He's 16. Oh, okay. He doesn't see the need. I mean, he knows how to read. He's got it. And hope. So why read a book? Well, he's got the skill. I mean, that – Yeah. You know, push come to shove. Really, we just want yeah. him to know how to read. Yeah, but, but I think I think there's more to it, and I bet our expert's going to tell us this because it seems like reading, though, you have to also know how to get what you're reading, right? Follow a plot, keep all everything straight. You can't just it's it's not like a movie where they just hand it to you, and then they sing some songs and, and they dance not. around and oh, problem solved. Yeah, it's not like that. It's much more complicated. I'm worried about our kids. I'm worried about my kid. I got to go. <laughs> Wait, Matt, I'm the only one here, so. <laughs> Can you um, hold down the show? Yeah. No. no. Um, are you, are you, do, do you not sense these young kids? They don't need to read. They've got okay. every other thing at their, they, who goes to a library? It used to be the greatest moment on earth was when your class would go to the library. It's interesting that, the, that the library has turned into the computer lab. Like no. it's not. Now it's a computer. Lab. It has books, but well, I, I can't remember. Uh, well, actually, no, I do remember the last time I rented a book. Do you want to know how many books I've rented from the enormous library? I don't on think campus? you rent books. What is it? Check out books. Same thing. You just borrow a book. I think. Well, yeah. You check it out. Check it out. Is I mean, that the same thing? No. Net no. net, it's the same. Net net, but to rent, you're paying something. Oh. Well, I do pay tuition. Well, but that's yeah. – And they do charge me money if I don't turn the book back in. Well, that would – see, that's just payback. Feels a lot like Blockbuster. It's a saying. lot more like the mafia. Well, okay. Okay. If uh, you don't no, give is. us the book, we break your leg. Okay, so five-story library. When's the last time you checked out a book? Uh, it was three years ago. Really? And guess how many total I've done? That one time was it. I've never checked out a book from this library. Do you know how to check out a book from the library on campus? Okay. No, I don't. How I'm, about as a I'm little new, kid? But, but as a little kid, didn't your mom like walk you down to the 
library and you'd go to story time and you'd bring back I'm pretty five sure books. I still have like a local library card. Yeah. The last time it was used. Now no I check out I why. don't I check out library books online and audio programs online. Through my library. Yeah, I, I can don't... get them all to my nook or to my phone or to my iPad. Can you get it delivered with a pizza? No. That's a difference. They should service. do that. See, times are changing. I think there's going to be a day where where everyone's going to like say, "What's that, Grandpa?" And they're going to say, "That my little friend's a book." We're going to have like the evolution from like records and cassettes to uh. iPods. <laughs> See, but do you guys even remember cassettes? I do. Yeah. You used to have cassettes for real. Well, no, Stick a but I, I know in. what it is. Yeah. See, oh, see, it's like a. <laughs> oh yeah, I know what a I know what a phonograph is. No, I've grew up with cassettes. I grew up with eight tracks. I grew up throwing my shoulder out, like no hammering an eight track in. You have to hammer it in. You have to hit it in. Maybe See, and I wouldn't know that. Maybe yeah. that's why there were such great boxers in like the 70s and 80s. Oh, for they sure. Because of their cassettes. Practice. Yeah, just like, oh, it didn't work. Oh, come on. And, they have like... and, and then to get it out is just as hard. You have to gotcha. rip it out. Yeah. See, that stuff, that's the book. Gone. So Okay, so the next step is e-readers. What's, what's after that? Are we just going to inject it into our brains? No, you know what you're going to do? You're going to watch a 10-minute program that's just a bunch of weird whistles, squeaks, and lines on a computer, and the book will be in your brain. So it's like connecting to the internet? Is that It'll like... be like... Okay. And then you're like, gone with the wind. Because yeah, I, <laughs> I, was, I was hoping it would be more like, you know... It's kind of robotic. Like the Matrix, like, oh, hey, I need to learn this. And be like, okay, it might good. Be. It, okay, it might, it might be like that. I kind of am just thinking old school. Gotcha. Like when, when you had to start up your internet, and it sounded like... <laughs> no, that was a fax machine. But that was the internet. Well, it was the same. Essentially, same. Yeah. So, you know, I, here's the point. If we don't get on this, kids are never going to read ever again. We will then be a very dumb nation. We'll be hosed. We'll be hosed. Then smarter nations with people that have less technology and more books will win. Okay, wait. I have a question. Yes. But if we can inject the knowledge into our brain. Can't do that yet. Well, hold on. We got to... <laughs> yes, I want to be able to do that. Yeah. But we have to we have to stay ahead of the dumb curve oh, so we can get to that point. Because okay. if yeah, we if we so we dumb, have to read to be able to not read. You have yes. to you have to actually read to learn how to then eventually input data easier later. Yes, because we might get really really close, <laughs> get too dumb, and then we have to start all over. Yeah. Okay. Got it. I don't know what we're doing there. Hey Matt, how much educational TV do you watch? I I personally watch a lot. Really? TED Talk. Is that educational? Well, that's educational video. And then I listen to a bunch of universities online. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also, hey, not to brag, but I'm a doctor. You are a doctor. And, you know, I'll check moles. (laughs) What can you do after that? That's all I got. That's all. You can check them, though. I can check them. And then I'm like, you need to go to a doctor. That mole looks horrible. A doctor. I'm a different kind of a doctor. See, Yeah. Victoria's like, do you really check moles? Because I've got one that's like, really I got, bad. I got a mole on my neck. It's getting a bit weird. Don't anybody call in with a mole question because I'm not that kind of a doctor. But if you do want to call in, what's the number, Matt? one eight five five chat byu Today, if you have a question about how to get your kids to either read or to learn or to you know other ways to get kids to read, I learned to read not reading. Uh, explain. 
billboards. That's pretty good. See, I didn't read books. I started with billboards. I can remember many trips. And it fit um, my attention span beautifully. Many times in the car, I'd just read the signs. And my dad would be like, okay, that's enough. But yeah. I was did, reading. Did you read them out loud? Yes, I did. Yeah. I think every kid does that. Did um, Did your parents blindfold you when you went through Vegas? Uh, my no. mother did. No, no, I actually lived in Vegas as a kid. You did? So, oh, so you that wouldn't have been – well, yeah, I was desensitized to yeah. it. No, I think they just stuck me with a Game Boy. My mother and sisters oh. made me sit on the floor of the car when we went through Vegas. <laughs> lay down on the ground. Back then, that wasn't illegal. Nope. They didn't have seatbelts. Nobody cared about you belts. back then. Um, so that's the show today. That is going to be a good show because I'm, I really believe kids need to learn to read. By the way, I've had clients that can't read. Really? Major, major impact. In fact, I had a client that couldn't read. Our only goal wasn't even to work on their marriage. Our goal was simply, let's teach her to read. And the minute she learned to read, guess what she did? She divorced her husband. Oh. <laughs> Confidence. And he looked at me like, thanks. I'm like, well. Wait, like, so- like she was completely illiterate. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're like, sorry, dog, I empowered her. She couldn't even fill out the forms we needed her to fill out to do my in- my intake, my assessment. How did assessment. she get through life? He did. He took care of her. Oh. Uh. And when, and when I saw that. And then she didn't need him. And then Way to go, she Matt. didn't need him. Yep. Broke up a marriage. That's how we High did five, it. Matt. But we, edu- <laughs> we educated her, got her to read. So then I sit there and I think, my, my heck, I've got a little eight-year-old that reads so great. And he's already ahead of this woman that was 45, 50 years old. Hmm. But you know what? He doesn't want to read. You know? I think we take it for granted. And I think it's it, – I think without public television. Frankly – I think educational TV peaked in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, a good time. Magic School Bus. Oh, yeah. Sesame Street. Sesame Street was 80s, but it, it did See, well in the 90s. But again, and then I saw all of these with my kids as uh, well. Power Rangers. But that wasn't educational. Was it, though? No, that was just. Taught violent. me the meaning of justice. Yeah, but that's. You could see that on any cartoon with a superhero. And you could get that from Law and Order, so, you yeah. know, whatever. Plus, you now get the science of NCIS. Bill Nye. Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh, he was great. Those are the days. Uh, you don't even remember these. Electric Company? Well, I do know what it was, but but I know. I didn't watch it. Okay. That's where Spider-Man used to rock it? Nope. Don't know. Yeah, you didn't see that. Now, my daughter grew up on the girl. Uh, Dora the Explorer. Dora the Explorer. Um, oh, really? Dora I was guessing. the Explorer. <laughs> it's not Explorer. Spanish. Explorer. Dora and Explorer. Did you guys see that there's a new movie coming out for that? Oh boy, really? They're making it's movies. Like real life. Is it a parody? It's got to be oh, a parody. Oh, yeah. Actually, I have heard about that. Oh, so, like, the map is like a person. Ooh, that's terrifying. I'm the map. <laughs> I'm the map. Okay, maybe it is better than that television. I'm just style. saying, 90s did good. I think yeah. we're just riding on their coattails. But you know what? We nowadays. also now we have apps that'll help us to learn to read. So, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Our own Bryce Lamar Tobin's going to do a little rantification about uh, what taught him to read, and it wasn't, believe it or not, books. We're also going to come back with Pam Allen, who's going to give us the logistics of kids and helping them to learn to read. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Give us a call. If you have a child that you're struggling to get to read, uh, you're struggling to teach them to read, they just won't do it, they won't go and do their reading, give us a call, one eight five five chat byu and Pam will walk you through it. One eight five five chat BYU. We're taking your calls. By the way, anybody that gets on the air with us gets a free book. Uh, you'll pick the book you want out of a big list of books. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. Today we are talking about kids and reading. We're teaching our kids to read. And what better way to do that than can you hear us? We seem to be having some technical difficulties. Anyway, we're talking today about teaching your kids to read, and we're going to have a guest on in a little bit. Pam Allen's going to be joining us. She's the executive director and founder of Lit World, a global organization advocating for children's rights. We'll be talking to her reading, uh, writes as a reader and a writer and a learner. She's going to teach us about the importance of kids. But first, let's go to Bryce Lamar Tobin. Bryce, you're a reader. Yes, I am. Uh, favorite book of all time? I would say... Oh, there was a great book I read. It's called Looking for Alaska. I actually really? read it this summer. Uh, it sounds like a travel guide. Nope. You'd think so, but it's not. It Alaska's was... a person. Oh, you're looking for a person named Alaska. Looking for a person named Alaska. So apparently you did not learn to read in in a conventional way, right? You relied more upon technology? I certainly Books were too much of a passive experience for me as a kid. A book had to really be something for it to get me hooked. But don't you worry, I still got my reading in. It just wasn't done by the format in which our social facades obligate us to say is best. It was video games. Now, I understand that this might seem ridiculous to you with all the Rudy Tootie aim and shooty car stealing and the hoppity hop getting all the mushrooms and points games. I understand the assumption, though. If you're old, you got to see the first 20 years of games, and they were pretty rudimentary and designed as toys for children. If you aren't old, it looks like games nowadays are all just Rambo simulations. Once again, you weren't wrong. Like any medium, there's always the popular rubbish. Books have the trashy romance novel. Film has anything that comes out of Hollywood. The gaming industry falls victim to the hyper-violent first-person shooter. But there was a time when things were different. This period lasted about 15 years from 1985 to 2000. Technology progressed far enough that studios could create games that looked pretty good, and we could store lots of data. Games could be more than a series of levels that got gradually more complex and then started all over when you fail. Games could tell a story. And I have a theory. I think there was a surplus of talented writers, all clutching their degrees as they sobbed while floating around desperate for work, and then any one of the several game developers got in contact with them, probably paying them pennies for a prince, and gave these writers an opportunity with a new template in which to tell a story. With a game, the visual element of a story is already taken care of. Writers could focus on characters and dialogue. And most of the writing the audience would be exposed to was text-based. They didn't have to worry about getting the right voice or worrying about the actors and their delivery, or paying an actor for that matter. Games even had a captive audience. It's perfectly reasonable for a game to take more than 30 hours. How many books are allowed that kind of time? And the game designers could, and usually did, force the players to go through the text before they could even move on. Sitting in front of the TV with a controller in my hands is where I really learned to read and expand my understanding of language. As a first grader, I ran into words like disingenuous, subterfuge, acclimate, enigmatic, abomination, masticate, evocation, innervate, pomposity, all which pushed me to have a dictionary on the floor next to me, which I'd use to check out every new word I'd find. Then I had to use context clues to figure out which of the many definitions I was working with this time. Then once I had this new word all figured out, I really started to understand subtext and euphemisms. I got to read and analyze the pros and cons of eliminating a dangerous sentient species and then make a decision and have to deal with the consequences of that decision. How many times have you had to commit hypothetical genocide? Because I've done it on more than one occasion and I've never made the decision lightly. Now, a situation like this, books have to convince me to get into someone else's shoes. Games made me take their place. There was a time when games were an interactive story experience. 
Then around 2000, the technology that granted so many possibilities kind of shot itself in the foot. Storage increased. It was now feasible to store hours of spoken dialogue. There was enough money to hire actors. There's still some great stories in the industry, but now they're being told, not read. And because of pressure from consumers, lots of games with heavy story elements can simply be skipped or ignored. This works well for an entertainment product, but it's moving back into a passive experience. Then again, for me, the job I have requires lots of writing. And any degree of quality in my writing comes from hours spent sitting in front of a TV with a controller in my hand. That's interesting uh, because it was a really good thing. And then they blew it. Uh, well, I don't know if – I don't know if they – yeah, they blew it. That's one way to put it. Well, I mean because now it's just they don't need words. Now yeah. they can just yell, look out, Larry. There's, there's You're going to get shot. They're shooting the bullets at you. Yeah. Yeah, it's those were the days. I remember back when you we would you'd play a game and you'd have to read through it and you'd have to sit down yeah. and and you'd have to somebody would have to spin that wheel to keep the computer working. Oh yeah, <laughs> I do. They'd have to crank it. You'd have to take out the disc and put the new yeah. di- or the new enormous or they f- floppies five and a half inch five and a half floppies five and a half inch. Yeah, I remember the day you could use a cassette, an audio cassette. Yeah. To store your information for your computer. Oh, oh, where they had the two reels? No. No? I, I, I remember those days, too. I remember the day when my grandpa's computer at his company was an entire room. Oh, boy. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, I believe. And, and you know what? The little thing you have in my, com- in my yeah. pocket yeah. could outdo that computer any day. Yeah. That's your phone? It's my phone. Yeah, totally. Totally. There you have it. <sighs> it's sad. What other... What other weird ways have you learned to read? Billboards. Billboards. Uh, we played games. Okay. Simon uh, taught me words. I think it was Simon. I had a game that I had to type in words. I could do it. Speak and spell. Speak and spell. Oh, that's exactly how I learned words. Speak and spell. Speak and spell. It sounded like the robot devil. That's uh-huh. what it sounded like. Yeah. And then it sounded, and then you could make words, and it would say the words that you wrote. Exactly, yeah. Speak and spell, and then there was math and something, which was just like speak and spell. And I got one of those. Never touched it, never, because the speak and spell was way too easy. My parents gave me like the the leapfrog leap pads. Yeah, and I had Reader Rabbit for the computer. Okay, let's just say you're my daughter's age. <laughs> math blaster Probably all the way. True. I bought both of those. I want to meet your parents. It's sad. Today we're talking. Reading. How do you teach these young little pumpkins, these cute little gifts from heaven, to read? They've got to become literate, right? They've got to read. There's benefits in reading. We're talking to the pro, the expert, a true living children's rights and literacy literacy advocate. Pam Allen's going to be joining us. She's going to teach us all about how to get your kids to read and uh, how to do it in a fun, healthy way. You know, way that they'll be interested in. Give us a call if you have questions for your child about your children about how to get them to read. One eight five five chat BYU. One eight five five. You have a hard time interesting them, getting them interested. It's not interesting them, getting them interested. Jeez. In uh, reading, that's what we're talking about. One eight five five chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM one forty three BYU Radio.
Welcome back, kids. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about reading, teaching your kids to read, you know, your grandkids to read. That used to be the great thing. You'd sit down with grandma and she'd read you a book or a bedtime story. How many of you out there in listener land still make time to sit down with your kids and have a bedtime story? I tried it the other night and my teenage boy freaked out and said, Dad, get out of my bed. And I don't want to read a book with you, which I thought was disrespectful. So instead, we're now going to talk about the younger kids. How do we make sure that our younger generation uh, stays a literate generation, that we make sure that they really know how to read, that they care, that they understand the importance of that incredible ability and how it can change their life? How do we make them fall in love with books if we can? How do we use other ways, technology, other means to uh, – because uh, think of all the different sources of books and and different ways you can read. Again, I don't – I have a ton of books. I get a ton of books for the show. I usually would read through them, find parts I like. But to sit down and read a book beginning to end, I haven't been doing it. And I'm not into fiction. And – or yeah, fiction. I'm not into it. Don't like it. Anything that's fictional, don't like it. Don't like it. Period. Don't look at me that way. Victoria's like rude. I'm not into I'm not into vampires, Victoria. Okay, I know you are. I know you like vampires and zombie people. How do you not like them? They're not real. <laughs> I like real people. But you know what? I guess my kids might like it. True. So maybe like the evolution of topic in reading is our problem. Maybe we need better better topics, better but I mean, we had Harry Potter. I loved that. That's fiction. I read that to my kids. So what's the difference? That I liked. But I would never go buy that for me. I'm not into that. That's I mean, it's sad because there's a million of those that are Has awesome. Has it always been that way, though? You've yeah. always liked nonfiction? I, yeah, like I your think, whole life? Uh-huh. I, think that's the, I think that's what happened when I got this PhD. It ruined me. So you changed. It wasn't like when you were a kid. Were when you I, like no, reading? No, I wasn't a reader. Okay. No. It's the doctor title. I think it's just that's all I read. And why, you know, I'd, you know, I'd rather go watch it. Call me lazy. That's why we've got the expert. <sighs> Pam Allen's going to join us right now. Pam Allen is the executive director and founder of Lit World. It's a global organization advocating for children's rights as readers, writers, and learners. She's the executive director and founder of Lit Life, a national organization uh, dedicated also to school improvement. She's um, an author of the acclaimed and award-winning What to Read When, the book series and stories to read when your child uh, and all the best times to read them. Book, book, book. Motivational speaker. She's been on every show you can imagine. Good Morning America, Today Show, Oprah Radio, Huffington Post. And she is a global ambassador for Scholastics. Read Every Day, Lead a Better Life campaign. You can find information about Pam on her website, pamallen, A-L-L-Y-N dot com. Pam, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I mean, again, I'm a dad of six kids. And you know what? When my last child started reading... I felt we had really accomplished something. Six for <laughs> that's six. Awesome. But that's a really good ratio. I mean, isn't that good? Excellent. And, I admire you. And yet the irony of it is my kids all read, but none of them just grab a book. Right? They just don't curl mm-hmm. up and go grab books and to me that's a sad thing. 
Well, I mean, I, I think I think that, uh, you know, the world is kind of a complex and busy place these days. And so curling up with a book often feels like something that, you know, nobody in, is is cultivating maybe as much as we did long ago. But I actually think it's as important, if not more important now than ever. Yeah. So um, do, do you see a some... problem with that? Because like we were talking earlier in the show, you can go read the Harry Potter books or you can go watch the Harry Potter series. Does 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 actually reading the book matter? Because we're, I mean, to me, it seems like not reading it is a process. I mean, having going through the process of reading it teaches us so much more than just watching the, the story. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I'll say, I mean, you're using an entirely different part of your brain when you're reading, in a sense that. You know, you're building the visual image. You're creating kind of the, the the author is giving you all this amazing detail. I mean, Harry Potter is one example, but there's so many examples of this. Whether it's you know fiction or nonfiction, the writer is doing this incredible thing with sentences, just with language. So the the, the movies are are fine and good, but that's someone's interpretation right. of what the author has done. And I think it's actually the thing is about kids who read a lot is that their brains are getting a workout. You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with the. I love myself. I love social media. I love movies. I love TV. I, I love all that. I'm sort of voracious that way, but I, I really, I do a different, my brain is doing a much different kind of a work when I go to the page and build that world myself. Mm. And I think that's a very good, whether it's for like your work life later or for raising your own family or whatever those later skills are going to be, that thing about building a world and the author is giving you a way to do that is like no other. And it's something in your brain is working in a way it's not. Yeah. And you're just sort of leaning back, you know? Well, it, it seems like, you know, we've always taught it as one of the keys, the found, the fundamental keys of learning uh, is reading, but it's almost like we just think learning, okay, learn to read, but there, you're saying there's something bigger here. This is, reading is core to the learning process. Yes. I mean, I definitely feel like, you know, as we've um, been, you know, with technology and everything else, I think there's a certain bigger definition of literacy that it's not just reading, it's also writing and speaking and listening and viewing. Right. But I think there is something incredibly profound about the reading experience where people will tell me stories about how, you know, being lonely as a child and finding comfort in the pages of a book. You'd never, I mean, movies can provide some measure of comfort and TV to some degree, but there's something very deep about the child who gets beyond the decoding and into the text and mm-hmm. just loses themselves in the world of the of story. But, you know, it doesn't have, like you were saying about, you know, you don't like fiction, but I think that can happen in nonfiction too. Like yeah. if you read like a really great you know, article about a sports yep. game, you know, sports, uh, something that like a horse race exactly. or a ball game. You could get into it just like no, that totally. too. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean, like a really good, uh, even a really good journalist or a really good um, kind of the historical or historian or historical read. I mean, there's there's still yes. something so beautiful about an effective writer and the nuance you learn about language and meaning. I mean, I guess part of uh, yes. reading for our kids is is teaching them the creation of meaning, how to actually mm-hmm. coordinate your meaning in life. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And also that, like, there are so many, I mean, it's always so interesting to me to see how, I mean, poetry is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. You you know, give a a class of 25 kids one poem, and then you ask them to to draw an image of what they think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And every single child in that class has a different picture Mm -hmm. at the end. And um, it's such an easy way to teach this big idea of interpretation. But I think that your point is so important that it is so much more than just gathering information. It's also making meaning. Yeah. It's not an input. We we kind of think of, oh, that's just the input, you know, tool is reading. But it really isn't. It's also connecting all of these concepts in our head. And the neat thing about reading is you connect them you connect them as you go, and you connect them on your speed. I mean, I can only imagine how sometimes our kids watch something on television that their minds aren't prepared to see, mm-hmm. but they're forced to kind of see it. Yeah, I think that's actually really true. I mean, there's this um, – this is an old Friends episode, but where somebody gives Joey the book Little Women, and <laughs> then there's this – like where he realizes that one of the characters is going to die and he can't take it. So he like puts the book in the freezer. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, I just love that because yeah. I feel like, you know, that's it. You can control your experience. Yeah. Whereas in, the, in the video sort of realm, you, you know, even for me as an adult, and I mean, all of us have experienced this, you're in the movie theater, you're on your computer watching something on TV and you're like, you know what? I don't, like that. I don't yeah. even like the way that person is talking. Right. I, mean, I remember when my daughter was reading uh, one of the series books, and she said to me, you know, like, some of these parts feel a little weird to read. And I said, you know what, just skip them. Mm. Like, if you want to read that book, yeah. and you know, I didn't want to take it out of her hands, and she seemed to want to get to the end. I said, right. let's just plan to skip those parts. You know? I love you that. Can, it's yeah. freedom. I mean, that, I mean, and that's, I guess, in a weird way, that's that's a that's actually a skill set your ability to to make it healthier for yourself even as you go yes and you have so much more control over that as a reader than you do as a viewer like you were saying i mean mm-hmm. you can pause something but you weren't prepared right. you can't like read ahead and you can't look at the there's a certain sort of power in like sort of just knowing and understanding and and also even the point about rereading is that rereading also serves a huge purpose yeah and, you know, and that's a way of making meaning and understanding more deeply. Like the child might read that Harry Potter book or whatever it is the first time through. Yeah. But then when they, you wonder, why did they go and read it again? It's because partly they're also just trying to make a deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. We've had memory uh, experts and, you know, educational ed- experts on the show that talk about the power of reading something and then going back after time and rereading and how it, how it, enhances your learning it enhances everything you've done yeah and even when you think about like rereading over like there's certain books that i've reread a lot over my life yeah or poems i've definitely there's Mm -hmm. a a poet by the name of naomi nye and i really love her and i've just read her poems so many times at different points of my life and i'm different and so therefore the poem is different yeah and that's something for children to learn like that that's very powerful. You know, that those, these, 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 that writing, literature, anything you love can accompany you mm-hmm. throughout your life. And then you hear some people that are like, oh, no, I've read that. Yeah, yeah I've read Naomi Nye. Yeah, read her. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you don't know Naomi. Don't even talk. Don't even use her name. Exactly. But you've read her. You've experienced her at such different levels. That's what's missing if our kids aren't 
reading, but also I, I love the, just the word literacy. You're yeah. you're not just you're not a reader. You're not just a. I mean, you're a proponent of reading, but you, you're about literacy. You want them to get the reading, the writing, the understanding, the meaning making. You want them to be a, skilled at that. Yeah, and I think that's why it's. I sometimes I'll refer to it as the lit loop. You know, it's like everything is all. The more I say to parents, you know, the more you you talk with your children and then listen to what they're saying, yeah. the more likely they are to become a lifelong reader or a more skilled reader for whatever they need reading for, and that that's actually part of the literacy experience, which is why you know reading together is such a wonderful mm-hmm. um, co- combination of everything. But I also think that. You know, writing, I always say that reading is like breathing in and writing is like breathing out. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, thank you. And I think that's, you know, really true. Like I've never, you know, anybody who's really a fine writer is someone who's been reading a lot. Like even like, even if you said earlier, you know, fiction isn't your thing. You're still ingesting a ton of stuff all the time. What's funny is I actually would probably love to go read a great uh, fictional book. I, I, I would actually love it. It just to me, it's it just seems like it's more work, which probably is telling me I'm not I, I'm not skilled there. Yeah, or else maybe you feel like almost there's too much of an expectation, like maybe in high school or whenever yeah. it was that you had an experience. There's going to be a test. There's going to be a test, or there was some a teacher understood it, and mm-hmm. didn't, or or you were reading a book that was just too hard. Like there's been plenty of times I've said I've said to high school teachers. Why are you reading that book with these students? Yeah. There's so many You're other ruining their chance. That's yeah, right. you're ruining their whole life. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's true. It's yeah. like, there's so many great like young adult novels. I even I recommend young adult novels to adults now because I think they're just more accessible than a lot of these adult books and 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 a lot of like things like mysteries and I love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just it doesn't have to all be stressful, you know. Yeah, but not those Harlequin romances. <laughs> Okay, those well, are... <laughs> actually, I did hear there's a, the great Native American writer, Sherman Alexie, who's just amazing. He was giving a speech once, and he said he is indebted to Harlequin romances because when he was little, he lived with his grandmother, and she didn't have much money, and she would buy these books for him at the supermarket. So that's what he grew up reading. And that's how he learned to read. He said that's exactly – I thought all books had like – this, you know, man on the front. Oh, man. Yeah. That is so <laughs> class. Just that poor kid. Just, <laughs> his concept of needing to be this romantic man that rides in on a horse with his abs. Glistening. I know. He felt like he was, you know, he didn't know. He thought no. this is how people, this is all that people wrote. This is how people read. This is awesome. Okay, we're talking with Pam Allen. We're going to take a break, Pam. Um, we want to hear from you. Do you have questions for Pam about how to get... Your children breathing in, right? Reading, breathing out, writing. How do you get your kids excited about this? Give us a call. We'll get you on the phone here with Pam. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Give us your specific questions. Tell us what problems or scenarios you're running into as parents in trying to get your kids to read. Or you as grandparents, what problems are you seeing You know, with these kids that seem disinterested? 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Give us a call. We'll be back with the executive director and founder of Lit Life, Pam Allen, right after this break. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. This just in, a Spurs update from Skyboy. Skyboy, uh, apparently the Spurs did beat the Jazz last Friday night. They did. Uh, by, you a, by a measly nine points. Well, here's the thing. Which the Spurs, is amazing with the Jazz being so low in the rankings. Yeah, and the Spurs had a horrible game, and the Jazz probably had one of their best games of the season. Yeah. And the Spurs had their worst game, but they still were able to beat them by Okay, nine well, let me just make something clear. Uh, whatever, A. <laughs> B, I'm going to have Thurl Bailey pass forward of the Utah Jazz on the show, and when he's on the show, we're going to have a beat down. All right. I, I talked were, to him. I when he was him here, though, I know, but when he was here, you were all wimping out. And then he laughed, and then you're like, no, 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 I, I was not expecting Thurl Bailey to walk into the studio. Just so you know, Thurl's got my back. It's because you're a jazz fan. Remember that. Okay. Anyway, did you take a date? Uh, no. Okay. Come on, well, when you're going to see sports, like especially if it's your favorite you team. You want to take a date. You don't want to take a date. That's not my natural element. I get a little excited. You were afraid they'd lose, and then you'd cry, and then you didn't want her to see you cry. No, I just probably wouldn't be as interested in my date as I would be in the game, so I'm looking out for my date. Let's just say no, most, that, that's most dates with you won't be that interesting. Uh, the girls actually like going. No, they kidding. like you. <laughs> anyway, good job. Great sports update. Thanks. Victoria, when you take the microphone and you run the board, he's got nothing to do. So he just walks around, and he's just kind of annoying. He should maybe be here a little earlier then. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay, I'll okay, let anyway. that go. I'll let that go. We gotta go no, back that was to Bryce's guest. fault, actually. we really want to get to the great expert. Not that you guys aren't great, but man. Uh, we're talking today about teaching your kids to read and literacy and teaching them to write and getting them engaged in this process of learning and writing and assimilating and understanding. It's a powerful process called literacy. It's probably uh, it's it's a new you know it's not a new concept, but I think we're it's evolving into something more than just the taking in of reading, which is great. But it's, it's everything else. It's having time with your kids to talk and to grow. We've got a great uh, advocate for literacy. Pam Allen is joining us. She's the executive director and founder of Lit World, which is a global organization advocating for children's rights as readers, writers, and learners. She's also an author, a, an award-winning author, has written some books as well as a motivational speaker. She's been on every show, you name it, in the world. She's the most popular, I'm making this up, she's the, mo- the world's most popular child literacy advocate uh, in the world. Is that right, Pam? I love that. I'm coming yeah. back on this show yeah. every day. You know what? I can make up these credentials like that. The rest is all legit. <laughs> but that one, who's going to argue with that? Is anyone going to fight you on that one? That is the best one. I know. Here, here's what I want to do. Uh, we have some callers lined up that want to talk to you. So I want to get some callers on, before, and then we'll take a break. Then we'll come back, and if can you hang on even longer than we told you initially? Sure, I can. You got I you got a big literacy conference physical. coming up or something that you got to yeah, get to? No, well, actually, I've got this global ed conference online keynote at seven p.m. Are that's you kidding? Cool. I'm you, not kidding. See again, that's why you're the universe's <laughs> greatest literacy advocate. <laughs> We're with Pam Allen here. Let's take one of our callers. Lucy White is on the phone. Lucy, are you there? Lucy, are you there? I'm here. How are you? Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Now, where are you calling from, Lucy? I'm calling from New York. New York. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, fill me in. What's your question here for Pam Allen on literacy? 
So I have three kids, and my two oldest are voracious readers. I can't even get them to put their books down. But my youngest absolutely will not pick up a book. He's seven years old, and it just can't compete. Reading can't compete with video games. And so I'm wondering if you and Pam can help me. What can I do to get him excited about reading? I would, first of all, get him my book, (laughs) Starved Stuff, Feeding the Seven Basic Needs of Healthy Marriages. That sounds great for a seven-year-old. Perfect. Yes. Now, I'm not the pro, though. Let's go to the pro. Pam, what do you think of that? Do you think a seventh grade or a seven-year-old would just, he'd probably get, I mean, my book has pictures in it. (laughs) Well, I probably won't do, but I think, you know, this is a, first of all, one thing is um, I feel like there are a couple of things, and one is that we often hear um, about, you know, parents are often more concerned about their sons as readers. Interesting, um, yeah. And I think there's a few reasons for that. I mean, I think our society definitely values active boys a yeah. lot. And so there's something sort of uncool about a boy reading and needing to sit still. I uh-huh. think it's like one issue. Um, and then the other thing is just like, you know, he's this little guy is surrounded by a lot of older siblings who are reading at higher, probably faster levels. He may just sort of feel like, mm. where does he fit in? Um, and so one thing is just to kind of think about, is there a time to have with him one-on-one to take him to the library, to go online or to go to Amazon um, or to actually, if you are lucky enough to be able to have a tablet like an iPad or an Android you know, tablet to download. There are a couple of really great apps. Like one is called Storia, um, and it's just an amazing – there's all these digitized books on it. And to kind of help him get into the habit of having that one-on-one time with you that's about him and about, like, what kinds of books – not even starting with what kinds of books he likes, but starting with, like, what makes those video games fun. Like, is mm. it the adventure? Mm-hmm. Is it the, you know, is it the type? Is it that they're robots? Is it that they're about, you know, soccer stars? You know, because there's a lot of fun stuff that is video that, that, that is a good reason why a seven-year-old loves that stuff. But for the seven-year-old to also see that the Internet um, and the App Store now have, like, amazing opportunities for reading to be more interactive. I mean, even just some of these, like Reading Rainbow, for example, has some really cool Mm. interactive stuff going on. And so I would go with that rather than against it, because I think that is sort of the direction everything's going anyway. And he's kind of the new generation, even from your older kids, he's he's sort of representative of the challenges I think parents face with the younger kids now. And, but I think we can embrace that. And I think we can kind of make that fun too. Love that. Does that help Lucy? That's wonderful. I love that. I love the idea of getting him engaged interactively with tablet reading because then it can feel like a video game. And and again, I wouldn't overlook my book. Definitely not. I'll make sure to pick up a copy of that as well. (laughs) Yeah, every child wants that marriage book. And if you get it early, then they're really ready for marriage. You know what? That is great advice. Lucy, thanks so much. Now, hang on the line. We want to make sure we get you a book from us here and send it on the way to you. Um, Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you thank for your you. wonderful answers to the questions. Thanks, Lucy. Really great, uh, interesting advice. Uh, these apps are, are taken over, and there's a point we can you know just neglect them and reject them, but at some point, this is the future. So we got to Absolutely. accept them, huh, Pam? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, there is like, I think the publishers, 
um, have been a little slow to catch up to yeah. this whole thing. But I think now they're starting to, and a lot of really great children's books are more available than they even were a year ago. So I think the fact is, like, every parent, you know, any parent listening, um, just to know that everything is transitional right now. So there's nobody who kind of has all the answers. But I think the more we can be kind of co, co-learners with our children um, and co-explorers of this new Internet realm of how we read online, mm-hmm. I think that's the, really the best approach. Because even for me, I just wrote this Huffington Post piece about how I was reading totally online, and then I kind of got sick of it. I I, yeah. I felt like it was, I don't know, like I, I like putting my hand into the page, and I like being able to turn the book over and look at the author picture, and I like all that stuff. Yeah. So, I just, I said, you know, I kind of said I, my daughter was always a pure, you know, she's been a purist right from the start. And I said, you know, I kind of like, I have to admit she's probably right because, but I think we can do both. I think we can say not one or the other. Well, and, you know, it's still early. You can still do both. I mean, you know, 50 years from now, you'll be begging for a book just to smell it, just to touch the old things. We're talking to Pam Allen about literacy in our children. If you have a question specifically for your child, give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. She'll help you create some excitement, some ideas for you there. Patrick's hanging on the line. Hang on, Patrick, through the break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Townsend Show. Today we're talking about teaching your kids to read and maybe more importantly to be literate, right? We want to teach not just reading but writing. We want our kids to become learners. And uh, who better to teach us that than Pam Allen, who's the executive director and founder of Lit World, a global organization advocating for children's rights as readers, writers, and learners. She's also the executive director and founder of Lit Life which is a national organization dedicated to school improvement. Pam uh, is the author of the acclaimed and award-winning What to Read When book and uh, is also a motivational speaker advocating for reading and writing. She's got a big speech tonight at a literacy uh, function and has been on the Good Morning Show, Good Morning America, Today Show, Oprah, Radio, Huffington Post. By the way, the Matt Townsend Show, which is, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure we're bordering on her favorite show ever. Definitely. I'm You feeling so, it, Pam? I love it. Yeah. Well we're loving having you. Thanks. Everybody around here is reading now. <laughs> That's good. Which is what? a few more down uh, yeah. seven hundred and fifty million. That's exactly right. You're doing great. Just pick up your game. Now you gotta go do more and more and more of it. So yeah. um we've got Patrick on the line. Patrick is from Brooklyn, New York, and he's got a question for you. Um about his 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 children children that are struggling they're struggling to read Patrick welcome to the Matt Townsend show are you there Hi, Patrick thanks. how are you bud yeah, I'm here hey thanks Pam for uh, sharing with us today um, so I'm a third grade teacher um, and I've started to heavily honor student choice uh, for my students as independent reading book bins um, my and my high ability students seem to go from title to title pretty seamlessly. Um, you know, voraciously eating up the words. But my struggling readers seem to find kind of the one text 
that they get stimulated by and going back to it and back to it. And so I'm just here to ask, you know, what are some methods that I can help and introduce um, to get my struggling readers to find interest in um, the text they've chosen or to simply uh, get into their books? If you could help me out, that would be awesome. Great question, Patrick. What do you think, Pam? Struggling readers. Yes, and this is the biggest challenge, both, of course, for parents and also for teachers. It sounds like, you know, a really inviting classroom, and it's very important, too. What I want to sort of admire about that uh, is this idea of choice, I think, is really important for our kids. Um, that I kind of alluded to in the last question, but like rather than saying, okay, all of our kids are one size fits all, Mm -hmm. how are we going to match, you know, what they're reading to their interest level? Um, I think for the struggling reader, though, of course, there's uh, so many different issues going on because reading is hard. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing I think sometimes people forget. It's both when it's easy and it works, it feels amazing. And when it doesn't, it feels just super hard. And For the struggler, I think for me, the main thing is I want to make sure, especially like, you know, Patrick's teaching third grade, those kids are eight years old, that's a pivotal age that will always sort of help them remember who they are as readers. And so I would say what I look at is I look at a few things. I look at time. So I ask myself the question, am I giving them not too, well, either too much time or too little time? And by that I mean... It may be that it's too much time in the sense that for a struggling reader, he can't read on his own for 10 minutes, but he could read on his own for three minutes. Mm -hmm. So I would have my strugglers, I would say to them, I'm going to set this timer on my desk, and we're going to set it for three minutes, and we're going to celebrate when you get through that three minutes. That's, and then the next day, four minutes, and then the day after, five. So we're building the stamina through the minutes. And then the other thing is, the other piece is access, and that is, just to make sure and check in on whether those texts are actually texts that my kids can, my strugglers need experience, not just reading through a book like a chapter book that has all these, you know, uh, different sections and it takes a long time and they look at the book and say, I'm like, you know, gosh, that's going to take a week to finish that. But that they also have books in those book, book boxes that are browsing books. They're books that would take just one class period to look at, or they can just look at the pictures, or they can just sort of skim and scan, um, because those are all reading skills that our strugglers feel like they can do that more easily, but they feel like, well, that's not what the teacher wants me to do. The teacher just wants me to read chapter books all the time. So yeah. I think to celebrate the both, you know, the time, no matter what that time is, keep it manageable, and then two access to the kinds of texts that aren't all about, I've got to go from beginning, middle to end. So so that you're not, I guess, negating the fact that they're picking up a book anyway, just because it's a browsing book, there's inherent value in the book. Just that your fact that you're picking it up, it's, yeah, it might be like, we only celebrate athletes, but we also only celebrate chapter books. Exactly. And that is what happens in school. That's why a lot of our kids get really turned off because they might actually be just like totally into, you know, football or they might be totally into ballet or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And there are tons of browsing books on all kinds of subjects that that struggling reader could feel really successful with. But if all we're doing is sort of holding up to kill a mockingbird and saying this is the only kind of book that real readers read, 
then that's fascinating that's the problem well and it seems like the majority of our reading if we could become you still have to be literate in a browsing book and reading the subheadings and and you know moving on and that's how we read our magazines that's how we read the internet that's how we read the you know the news online it's it's still an important literacy exactly it's actually really important and and that that exactly that thing is something we can even say to our strugglers is, you know, you do that really well. Mm. And people in the business world really love that, you know, that, yeah. that skill. So they don't feel like, well, hey, you know what, I couldn't read that 180-page book. But we even celebrate them in front of the whole class. We stop everyone and say, I just want to point out, you know, what Sarah did today was she had three browsing books about tigers, and she's already, like, soaking in that knowledge, and that's what readers do, mm. so that we're, we're really affirming that, because I think as parents and teachers, we have, like, sort of identified reading as a very narrow idea. You know, it's only yeah. this one kind of thing. It's It seems like we're using um, different senses. I mean, it, like, some people want more visual, right? Some, some are craving to be able to see it, and... Um, do our senses, do our learning styles get involved in our reading? How how does that imp- impact us? Well, I mean, I think it's um, both good and bad. I think that we, you know, every one of us, like we all, and this is another sort of challenge with technology is that everyone gets really distracted. I think that, you know, to create very, and that's another thing I would say to Patrick, too, is this idea of creating really quiet reading spaces in a community and a reading environment. Like, what would it take for an easily distractible child to be focused? The other thing is about the sort of sensory experience of reading itself is the reading itself is a very sensory experience. If you really go deep into it. Yeah, you've got, it's in your head. It's in your head, and so you do need that space around you yeah. to experience that. Like, if I think about books that have impacted me a lot, like, there's um, there's a book out that I really love called Wonder by R.J. Palacio, and it just came out last year. It's just so beautiful. And th- there she describes, like, all these school scenes. It's a, it takes place in a middle school, um, and it, there's just these, like, you know, loud scenes in the cafeteria or times when the boy is walking through the halls. And, you know, I have to kind of think about that. That's like using all my brain, yeah. sensory experience. And the writer has done all that heavy lifting for me, and now I've got to do it too. Um, so everything matters. And I think for a struggling reader, it's just hard for them to put that all together. Yeah. Patrick, does that help? Uh, yeah, that was fantastic. Thanks so much, Pam. Good luck Thanks, teaching Pam. too. That's We're so grateful for you. I appreciate it. Willing to be on the front lines there. I mean, just the mere access. I mean, I I can almost imagine in Patrick's situation where the the child goes home to read and might even be catching the fire of reading at school. Um, But maybe we don't always have family that that are into it or are supportive of it. Or we don't even we don't have anything but picture books at home to read. So access is, I guess, also I mean, sometimes it's familial, right? Yeah, I mean, access is so key. And, you know, I think like when I wrote my book, What to Read When, it has a lot of book titles in it. I went around um, and, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of parents and they, they'll say, like, I really struggle with that. People always say, go to the library, but maybe the library is closed when I want to go and I work and right. I can't get over there. Um, and I really believe that, like, this whole technology thing is going to be the best thing because, you know, if I can think that that child will get, like a thousand books on on her phone 
mm-hmm. then at the very least, it might not be perfect, and it might not be you know the way we wish that it could be all the time, but at least it's access. Yeah. There's something, I think, that's really powerful with these um, – you had a name for them. The books that, uh, you know, where they're, you read one and they're all lined up and there's 30 books. What are those called? You mean uh, like series books? Like a series book, I guess, is what. I never in my life got into a series book in my life. My kids mm-hmm. did. But the idea yeah. when you can get them hooked on a series book, that's game on. Yeah, exactly. You know what's so great about series books is that um, uh, they're predictable. And so that's another thing for Patrick's Classroom. For struggling readers, series books and sticking with series books is so helpful because you already know the trick of the book. Mm -hmm. It's like you've got got how that character goes. You've got how it usually ends. you've, You've got even the font. He's like, so it's almost like let's check all that stuff off the list and remove it from your plate, and then you can concentrate on, like, doing new things as a reader. Right. Even adults. Like, you know, I love Agatha Christie because I know Miss Marple is so comforting, and her town is always exactly the same, and nobody ever gets old. You know, everyone's always the same exact age. And, you know, it's, like, very comforting in that yeah. way. I mean, the interesting thing, actually, about series books is most of them do that. Like, the characters stay the same age. You know, Encyclopedia mm-hmm. Brown, all yeah. these people. But it, the one series that didn't do that, um, that was sort of a groundbreaker, was Harry Potter, mm. because he grows up in yeah. the series. And that's actually a little tricky, because parents will tell me, oh, you know, I started that book with my kids, you know, as a read-aloud or whatever, and then the second book just got really scary. Yeah. And that is actually an, a, a point that we have to keep in mind, is that, if the series books don't keep the main character at the same age, you're not necessarily supposed to be actually reading them at the same age. Yeah, oh, um, interesting. You're not yeah. supposed to be reading it as a series. Exactly. In fact, Harry Potter wasn't even real. I mean, it was written in as supposed to be seven books, but the point is only uh, – actually, I think the – the most important group of people who read that book series were the first because they read it in sort of the right order. Right. Like now, everyone, like a kid, can read the first one much young, uh-huh. you know, maybe like eight years old, but then he's really not ready to <laughs> yeah. read the last one. Yeah. I mean, that book is like an adult book. Oh, I, I can't know? even read so, it. It freaks me out. Yeah, it's so scary. I could, there were some of those I couldn't even. I was too scared, you know? <laughs> and So that's the thing. It's a big... I mean, it's it seems like it's just such a natural and in, an intuitive process that you're talking about, but there's there's some real nuance to it. There's complication. Then the, the, you add the business side behind it. You add um, the commercialization of some of these shows. Lemony Snickets. Yeah. That was one of my daughter's great favorites. And I mean, then movies become and come out of it. And I mean, I guess in the end, what we're trying to teach though is we're just teaching kids how to take it in, breathe it in, as you say, reading, yeah. breathe it out through writing, be able to process, be able to integrate, be able yeah. to understand the nuance of our life. Yes, exactly. And that's what I love what you said before about like literacy as a new idea, because I think that's what's happening. It's like, you know, this, this, um, I, I often say that, that literacy is really humankind's greatest innovation because it's always so flexible and nimble. Like everything else, you know, I mean, radio is like that. Like Mm -hmm. it's just so 
it's so sustainable. Yep. Everyone's like, oh, this is going out, and that's right. not good anymore. Well, that's how I feel about literacy. It's like constantly re-energized tool for all of us, and it belongs to everyone. I mean, that's... That's mm-hmm. what kind of drives me with my Lit World work is so many kids around the world don't get any exposure at all to literacy, not at all. Yeah. There are no books at all in their schools, Ugh. nothing. And so, you know, that's just not right. Like, yeah. We have to fix that. What, um, what do you see as parents we should be doing? How, how do we – what role do we play? I mean, one thing you've said is to make sure we're kind of a cooperative – Learner, we're a partner in the process, a facilitator, making it easier for our children. What other roles do we have as parents in our children's literacy? Yeah, that's such a, such a good question. I would say a couple of things. One is to be a visible mentor as a reader. In other words, you don't have to like reading fiction to be a visible mentor. I mean, the way you talk about it is very powerful, and I think also just the kinds of things we're soaking up. Like, I think part of the problem about reading is that our Kids can't see us do it. Yeah, it's not right. like, you know, cooking where we come to the kitchen and everyone sees me stirring the sauce. Yeah. And they say, oh, that's how she does that. Reading is like completely <laughs> invisible. Mom's just sitting there. Yeah, she's just sitting there. What is she doing? <laughs> she's like staring at the screen. I could be like, you know, doing God knows what. Yeah. So that's one thing is to articulate yourself as a reader to say, you know, I read this amazing thing this morning in the news, or I had this funny comic strip I always love to read is, or um, listen to this, you know, riddle that my friend sent me by email and, and just share, put it out there back to your kitchen table. Mm-hmm. You know, don't let it be private. I mean, I think that's, that's one thing. And yeah. then the second thing is, um, about the, on that, along those same lines is I would say the one amazing thing that every parent can and should do is really to read to your child even as they get older and it doesn't have to again doesn't have to be fiction it can be you know everything from the sports pages right. to this cool thing that you read online but just so they can hear your voice reading I love that really you know and it's a it seems like an old-fashioned idea but um you know, uh, scriptures. I, I, with my family, just reading a, the scripture. That's where I see where they are. That's where I see where my kids are, and spending time with them, reading something, even though we've read it over and over. But every time, it's a different concept or it's a different lesson learned. Um, but there's something so valuable, kind of religious aside. There's something valuable about reading a book together, sharing an yeah. actual book together, in, yeah. in, in our voice. Yes. And as soon as that that child hears that in your voice, whether the scriptures or any other text, it is it transforms it. It, It's like coming through you. And that's a very big gift giving to your child. And and it is it's 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 really it's why I actually one of the reasons I think religion is so powerful is that it sees the value of the text. Yeah. And and that is a really profound idea. Mm hmm. You just know, the time, and, isn't it? Just that intimate. And when everyone's in their jammies or it's early in the morning or it's late at night, but no matter what, I mean, again, the religious concepts are powerful. And there's also just something about the time that you're spending time yes. in writ, in writing yep. and in intimate setting. Yes. Talking. Yes, exactly. Huge. And, and it's. It's so beautiful, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like we, so I, with my team at Lit World, we created this 
holiday called World Read Aloud Day that uh-huh. we celebrate in March. And when we first started doing it, we were sort of like just basically wanting people to get the feel of that. Like yeah. if you, you know, you've experienced it, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, but it, some people haven't so much. And so we wanted people to feel for that. And since then, it's been like this outpouring of, you know, I didn't know how good that would feel. And also to be a recipient of a reading, mm-hmm. to have somebody read to you uh, in any context is yeah. so meaningful. And it's it's so, like, I, I love to um, sort of really think about the difference between the word on the page, the words on the page, and then when they lift off the page by the voice of that speaker yeah. and how different that that is based on my voice and your voice and so much. It, it's very, very moving and and really, it's a human connection. And I that, isn't that really what I we love all that. No, exactly. Want? Isn't that it's really what we need, right? And then I, I imagine that the neat thing about a book is your your grandparents read it. You can read it, mm-hmm. and it does create a shared experience, even if you're not talking mm-hmm. about it, but you're experiencing something that was written in a way that, and your parents and grandparents interpreted it their way, but it's still this shared yes. collective culture. I love that too, like that idea of your sacred text is like going with you with the voices of your, mm-hmm. like if you asked everyone, who do you most remember reading that, you know, that, that text. text, that sacred text yeah. to you? And what was that voice? Whose voice was that? I mean, that's that's huge. That's awesome. I mean, and, what else? And everybody's walking around with that inside them. That's yeah. just it's such a you know. I always say like the work. A lot of the work I do for Lit World is in very, very, very poor communities, and we go into the communities there where there's so much poverty and, and not a lot of um, access to opportunity, and so I think to myself, first of all, one thing that I can share is this tool of literacy because it gives people their own power yeah. and so that they can do with it what they want, whether they'll be a dairy farmer or a software engineer or whatever that, a teacher, they can use that literacy for their purpose. But the other thing is more simple and kind of to what we're talking about. And that is like, I started seeing in the, one of the, we work in a slum community in, in Kenya and one of, and I noticed the girls with whom we were working, walking home on these very dark, narrow pathways, mm. very scary yeah. and alone. And, you know, in, in this community with, you know, like a dirt path with a lot of mud and Ugh. a lot of close quarters. And you can only just imagine. Yeah. And I, I, I walked with them and I said to them, what would it take to be less afraid, you know? And th- the question was, answer for all of us was the one thing we can give is this power of of the read aloud is that we can send them at least back into the dark places with voices of the reader in their head. They can walk yeah. remembering that oh, poem, neat. remembering that text, remembering yeah. the song, remember, and at least just say it to themselves as they go. And they have, they that's what they say too, you know, like yeah. being in these literacy clubs is a way of not being lonely. And I think that's really what reading aloud does for people. Well, it's a, I think it's a noble, I think it's not even noble. I think it's the, the highest nobility is empowering people with literacy. And so Pam, thank you so much for joining us. Seriously, well, your cause you for, is incredible. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. This was a great, great interview. You're very well, special. Well, thank, thank you. you. Well, but it's, you make it easy. Right. And and I'm going to start I'm going to go read a nonfiction.
<laughs> no, I'm going to go read a fiction because I only read nonfiction. <laughs> All right, start with wonder. You'll like that. Uh, no, I just wrote that down. In fact, that's I was hoping that that was my age. It's perfect. You'll be so happy. I, I oh, promise. That's good. Okay, that's what I'm starting with. Wonder by R.J. Palacio, huh? Yeah. Go check out Pam's website, though, Pam Allen, A-L-L-Y-N.com, because she has a section there you got to go see under books uh, because she has her books. But she also has um, – I mean th- she has books that have lists of books for boys, and she has books that will help you and her blog and other posts and things like that. She's got tons of resources there. You can tell she's passionate about this. Pam, we're going to have you back. Thanks. I'd love to. Good luck on your uh, conference tonight. All right. Thanks Knock a lot, everybody. Dead. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you so much. Okay. We're going to take a break and uh, come back and um, just, you know, take a actually, yeah, take a minute to wrap up. And then uh, we've got some really fun stuff coming on a little bit later. Mark Waite's going to join us later about language bullies. You know, these people that just get on your case because you used good instead of well, well, We're going to take those bullies on. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we've only got a minute before we've got to get to news, but we wanted to go around the horn and uh, ask everybody their favorite book. I asked Skyboy earlier his favorite book, and his book, very simply, was the um, unabridged version of Hello Kitty, uh, the life story of a kitty and how she got to say hello. That is correct. You like that one? I do like that one. Uh, favorite book, Bryce Lamar Tobin. Uh, as a kid, favorite book was definitely the uh, Lost Tales of Merlin series by T.A. Barron. It wasn't very popular, but really? it was pretty good. I read all five of the books. Wow. Okay. Not me. If this is when we were a kid, my favorite were Animorphs, Redwall, and Tintin. Tintin? Tintin. Tintin, Redwall, Animorphs. and Animorphs. Those are my favorite. Okay. How about you, Victoria? I read Chronicles of Narnia and Harry Potter. I like those. kind of kid. Boxcar children for me. Actually, oh, uh, those are good. We joked around. Are we going to talk about favorite book or, or the book that almost stopped us from reading? What was the book? Book that N- almost stopped you from reading? Go. Narnia. That almost. Like, really? I was, yeah. I was like, well, if you read like, it too young, no, this yeah. is not a classic. There's no way the yeah. human race agrees that this is. You got to read that old. I'm in the wrong. As an adult, Frankenstein was the book that made me want to stop reading. Really? Why? I had to read that in high school. So boring. Yeah. And long. Um, Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. <laughs> Hated it. You probably again. You read it too young. I read Anything, it in high school, notice, so it was like I was see, it sounds like it. it sounds like high school is when reading was ruined for you. Yeah, accurate. So maybe it had nothing to do with the book. It was that we were forced to read it. Yep. Would you rather be... I don't like The Scarlet Letter. You know I what? That. I, I liked felt, that yeah. one. I just don't like reading when I know I have to write about it later. If I can just read a book, I'll yeah. enjoy it so much more. But when I, I have to like analyze yeah, it... And I know. I that. actually went on Halloween as... Was her name... Um, was it Hester Prynne from Scarlet Hester Was Prynne. it Esther or Hester? Did you dress Hester. up like a girl Hester for Prynne. Halloween? I dressed up as a pregnant woman with an S, a, 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 I mean a, an, a. Scar- an A on my, a Scarlet A on my chest. And how did that go over? Lead balloon it or It was hilarious. Okay. He met his wife that and night. And by the way, oh. I made a really ugly woman. <laughs> well, with a name like Hester. Yeah. And she was preggers and I had hairy legs. By the well, way, it was still six, do. 1600s. 
Still probably do. was. See, reading's great. We didn't get <laughs> kicked out of high school on that one. We're going to take a break, uh, give you a chance to l- hear the news. And uh, again, we're talking literacy. When we come back, we're also going to talk about the language bullies, the people that won't cut a break whenever you use improper grammar. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Townsend show. You know, we've been talking about teaching your kids reading and uh, writing, grammar, literacy. And as we think about that, we think of one person. If we're going to talk to one expert about teaching their children this, other than our other expert, You're so ironic. Pam Allen, I know that's so ironic. We're talking to Mark Waite, who works for Classical 89, where they, ha- they have to like know everything about every famous composer we they have to know the history or make it up is that what you do you make, make it, it up as you go along no but you even use the right words like no. just give us a little spiel for what your show sounds like classical 89 no my voice is horrible today. i know what's I the deal with that I, I, I don't know i can't i can't tell you it's my voice is okay for byu radio today yeah unacceptable for classical 89 but you're a classical dj yeah do you consider yourself that? Yeah, I mean, you know, people ask, "What do you do?" It's easiest to say, "Yeah, DJ. I'm a radio DJ." So you have, but yeah. Although announcer or host sounds more hoity-toity, right? Is that what they use the yeah, yeah. officially? Yeah, I so, like DJ. Let me just start out by saying, here's my over, overarching philosophy. Okay. Knowledge and understanding are greatly overrated. Overrated. No, hold on. Slow down. Now look, I ain't never had no book learning, and I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but some would say – some would argue strongly you're not. Not fine. <laughs> <laughs> some, are, some argue that. Now, you've been talking about kids, and I, I do have strong feelings about this, that, I mean, once you've provided the basic necessities, they're well-diapered, well-fed, yeah. hard to find something more important than the three-year-old in the lap yeah. reading a book together. Totally. I mean, really. That, that is um, – at the very foundation of your lifelong relationship yeah. with them, that bonding that comes, uh, the sharing, and yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah, we, we tried to do it uh, fairly often with my boys. My wife stayed home when the kids were young, and she she was a good mommy and spent a lot of time with them. But uh, I, I, I'm utterly convinced that if you're going to teach a young ch- – why it's so important to teach a young child truths and good yeah. things right. is because – that's those are the roots. The seeds that are planted first right then. are the roots that grow the deepest until those roots are completely yeah, I think you're right. around the heart. And there's nothing yeah. you can ever do to pull those out. You take a three-year-old and you teach them uh, something completely false and incorrect. When they're 33, good luck trying yeah, to convince them that out. That they're wrong. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I mean, we we all have these biases, and we yeah. oh, no. I'm absolutely sure that this is true, right? Because right? Right. I learned it when I was three years yeah. old. And that's so that's huge. why it's so critical to, to train a young child with good things, with nurturing things and truth, because you'll never yank the truths out. But there's something else you mentioned there that is – there's something about being with your three-year-old where they're on your lap and they'd, they'd rather be nowhere else. They want you to read that book and you'll never get that again. 
Try putting a 16 year old on your lap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Try getting them to give you. So there's this the magical moment. And I think yeah. just like when you were mentioning how it. That truth ties around them and will stay with them forever. So will that bond. That relationship bond doesn't go away even when they are not going to sit on your lap. Because if you, you take a, uh, a 16-year-old who's now ostensibly wants nothing to do with dad, still deep, deep down inside they remember. Yeah. I used to sit on that dude's I know. lap. Right? And that guy was nice. And he, he had always talked about what I loved. He gave me what I needed. Yeah. He fed me. He diapered yeah. me while well, my wife diapered yeah. them. Let's, let's, <laughs> you didn't diaper? Let's not get weird I here. Of course diapering. my wife diapered them. But uh, they – I mean that is when, when they start yelling at you when they're 16, yeah. what is – what makes it possible for those wounds to heal – is those deepest things yeah. inside them at totally. the core. No, I agree. Yeah. And that's and then it's it's connected. I mean, reading is such an easy thing at that age because they're so sponges, yeah. Yeah, wanting that. And then, you know, they kind of evolve. Talk about this because I think we may have hit a nerve with you here. Um you come from a station where you have to sound erudite. Uh, yes. Sophisticated. Yes. Even if you're well not, informed. And so it seems like – see, I couldn't do that station because I can't even fake oh, sounding on. literate no, on no, this no. station. You're a highly intelligent individual. Well, no, no. But – You're a doctor for crying I'm out a loud. Doctor. Physician, heal thyself. In fact, and we will check that mole that you want you brought up <laughs> in the hall. We'll check that after. Um, Let's but do it a seems biopsy. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I always say. We're going to have to biopsy that. Um but what about these little grammar Nazi people? Because I know people that correct oh, what you fun. say. Oh, that's satisfying, isn't it? Uh, to to show that you're smarter yeah. than the other folks. Yeah. Hey, way to remember a rule. That's what that all it is is a rule. They're remembering a rule, but they're ticking me off, and I'm going to make them pay. <laughs> is that bad? <laughs> the tires are slashed. Yeah. What? You go. I'll meet you at the flagpole. Pal. Well, I think the overarching thing here is. What is right? I mean, on the one hand, you have the school marms yeah. with the horn rim glasses on a chain around their neck <laughs> saying, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, and those can be the language Nazis, and we all grew up with some of them. Yeah. Uh, and then there's these darn kids these days and their Facebooks and their Twitters and their, <laughs> and their texting while they drive yeah. where all of the rules are just completely out the window. Yeah. And so – the question is, the, the big overarching question is, is the language a malleable, growing entity that is adapting and uh, changing? And is that okay? Right. Or should we have a stake in the dirt like a dog on a chain yeah. where it can only run in that circle and don't ever, ever leave that circle? Which is right. I don't yeah. know. Maybe we need both. Maybe we need the people like – like I break every rule and just laugh and others that hold the chain in the stake in the ground and they don't ever move. So maybe that's what keeps it happening. So I'll innovate new words. We make up words on the show all the time. We don't even need a dictionary because we'll make them up. My newest one is upliftification. Wow. That's what I get from this show. Do you get upliftification? Upliftification from the Matt Townsend show. Wow. And that's not even what we mean. That's heavy. Do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We just try to make you feel higher. Well, uplifted. <laughs> Upliftification. But see, you just made it up. By the way, new word on the show. 
That's the new part of our show. We're going to make up a word a day. You should. So, so you're you're definitely in the the language is uh, a growing uh-huh. organism. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't annoy you when you see on a Facebook post just egregious grammar no. and spelling errors. You, that doesn't bother you at all. No, because for me, it's it's a burr under the saddle. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. Does, it, so because the irony of that is, to me, it's just a reflection of the person. It's well, just, stupid people annoy me. <laughs> see, but it may just like have you had a son. So my son is. You've had your kids go on missions, LDS missions. I have a son on an LDS mission abroad. He writes us. He writes us letters, but his letters are so no full capitals. of no capitals and LOLs. Ha ha ha! He doesn't know how to write. That scares me. That does scare me. But because it's you not, want to pass, I don't get mad about it. I mean, I mean, great communication skills are really yeah. critical for your child's future yeah. fulfillment. Uh, you know, even if it's just something as simple as is doing their resume. Yeah. Um, know how to put a cap where you put a cap. But some people are more language oriented than others. Yeah. Notice I didn't say My orientated. Wife. Yeah. Well, oriented. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Way to use the right language. Uh, and. You, sometimes with some people you have to lower expectations because they just don't have the chip in their brain. No. Right? Our third son who's in the Philippines right now, he's doing the no caps yeah. and the no the, – the no, uh, But see, he's doing it because it's efficient. And, he's just – he's not – you know, it's not the old days it's where it's very inefficient because if you don't have a period at the end of a sentence, then the reader doesn't quite oh, know what you're talking about See, there about again sometimes. is your next problem because you There's think, a reason he's, that you think he's writing for you. He's just dumping it out of his brain. It's not about you. It's not effective communication. Though. It's not. See, that is the problem. Is it? And then it makes it harder for you. So, and that's of, all that really matters is what's difficult for me. But part of grammar, I guess, is that, isn't it? Part of grammar is that I guess I should care enough about myself to, and to make it easier for you to understand what I'm saying. Well, I mean, that's why we have shared languages so that I can talk to somebody in England and yeah. we can be on the same page more or less. Right. And that's why I can't speak to somebody in France, Fran- yeah. French being the most decadent language I know, by the way, because they just refuse to pronounce yeah. the second half well, of every word. That's why I love German. Yeah. Every single letter in every single word is pronounced. Is pronounced. And yeah. that's because I guess like 150 years ago, whoever was in charge said, well, yeah. look, we're going to put that stake in the dirt yeah. and we're going to create a, a unified language where we're all on the same page because Germany was so many fiefdoms mm-hmm. over so many hundreds and thousands of years where they just weren't getting along well because they were all had the different dialects. Yeah. yeah. And so once they unified, we have to have a unified codified language and that makes it easier for us to trade, mm. to get along. I mean there's there's reasons to See, codify but this a language. This is where you're going to tick someone off because codification of a language, important. Caring about what I mean, invaluable. So if you get hung up on codification and lose my meaning, you lose me. So some people turn into little, not no pun for the German that you were just talking about, Nazis. They turn into word Nazis, grammar Nazis. And the minute you're critiquing my grammar, you have no power with me. 
I officially because you're assuming shut a, def- you off. a defensive you're position. You're well, assuming a defensive position because now I'm yeah. showing my superiority well, right. by correcting your yeah. subject object. Yeah. Because like, so think of the teenage me and him. Kid. Me and him went to the to the grocery store. Yeah. Me, and, me yeah. went. Okay. We done went. Me done. went. Me went to the grocery store. No, it's simple. Yeah. I went to the grocery store. Yeah. Therefore, See. he went to the grocery store. Right I went there. to the grocery store. He and I went to the grocery store. And when we were there, we were about to steal stuff, Dad. And now I'm not going to tell you that because you just got into my grammar, you freak show. <laughs> and so you're going to – you better watch your tires on your truck. L- l- let me just say though, See, that's honestly, I always, I always get straight A's in English. But as soon as it got to the let's do the – let's study grammar and yeah. diagram sentences, I completely glazed yeah. over instantly because that's not how I learn language. See, diagramming, is, by the way, is, is when I lit brain. up. That was a little more interesting I don't want the left brain – I don't learn language in a yeah. left brain way. No. It's just – it's See? an organic thing. See, I think you're – I hate grammar. I, I hate, hate grammar. I think we're on to something here though because it's – so there's the, there's the law and then there's the spirit of the conversation. Sitting a kid on your lap – wasn't probably to just teach them the law of reading, the letter rules, the reading rules. It was to get the spirit of I'm with you. Then sometimes – so it, we there's times we need to correct them. Like we tell our kids, use sentences, put periods, capitalize at the beginning. But the more time you, you spend need. with that three-year-old in the lap – yeah. The, my, they're going to be miles ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Yeah. Over those kids who did not have that in the lap experience, yeah. looking at text, seeing where the comma goes, yeah, exactly. and what's the function of that comma, right. what's the function of that That's period, right. and now it's in their brain. Yeah. Uh, can I just say, sure. I feel, I mean, here I am slamming uh, French as being a decadent language. <laughs> I feel so sorry for anyone who has to learn English as a second language. Oh, man. Oh, no, boy, seriously. am I glad I learned that yeah, on we, my daddy's knee. Yeah. Because learning that as an adult, forget it. Yeah. Horrible. We, and it seems like, yeah, and we keep. I think it gets harder and harder. We're we're messing it up more. We're creating words that I learned Spanish. So we should drive the stake in the ground so that it's, well, no. it's less bizarre to learn because well, it's, it's the Wild West. It's a mess. Yeah, but I think also then you lose the nuance of some of these fun words like what was your word? Uh, uh, what would you call it? Upliftification. Upliftification. Yeah. We, I gotta write that. Better down. write that down. No, no. If I if I am a language Nazi, these darn kids these days and their overuse of the word like is going to send me to my grave. Like what? I mean, like what? Well, knock like what do you it mean? off. Well, okay. I like, went. Tell me more. Mark. I mean, like has a function. It means <laughs> approximately. Okay. No, like but has a function on Facebook. They're th- yeah, true. You just hit they're the using it just totally random. I knew a kid who said, "Well, I had to like walk down the street and then I had to like turn right and then I had to like turn left." No, you literally turned right and left. <laughs> You didn't kind of approximately, sort of, maybe. So this turn. like this like bothers you. This like, like bad. really. I mean, it, well, it's out of control. Like it's irritating. Knock it off. <laughs> Five likes in every sentence. Give like, it a rest. Yeah. You're wasting my time. Like I understand <laughs> what you're saying, but that actually works because you're not. You don't exactly understand what I'm saying. You kind of like approximately understand what I'm saying. Isn't it funny? But we, we have these pet peeve words. I have a bunch of pet peeve words that I... Not pet... I, pet words I use, filler words. We just throw in a filler uh, word. Yeah. I don't use uh usually. Oh, by the way, interesting. I just found this out. What's the one word that survived the uh, Tower of Babel that's universal? Fire! No. <laughs> huh. Huh? Huh? <laughs> 
They found they've. Just, I just read this really? this week. They found that almost every major language has "huh" says "huh" the same way, and it means the same thing. Like a like a question of what? Huh? Really? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Every language, most yeah. most of the major ones, like twenty nine major languages. Huh? Because that was probably the last word spoken. What I <laughs> when what? the fireball was coming down. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Let's all say it together, shall we? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. See you. What I don't know is whether these other languages have <laughs> uh huh as the affirmative. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. No. No. They Just, don't. Huh? Uh huh. See, uh huh. I think is that was that was one of the early words because it was just so easy. It was more of a grunt, visceral. Huh? That was an easy word too. That was also Gooby Doo. <laughs> Do you hear it? Oh, I don't talk about that. You have a cold, show. by the way. Do I? Either that, or you're playing all sultry on us. And see, you know, which is no, it? I didn't. I hardly slept last night, so I'm like, Ugh. really. Why? Whoa. You got the flu bug? You got, no, uh, I, I just could not sleep. I don't know what the deal is. So if I'm a little bleary, I... You need, um, you need my meditation tapes. Oh. Go on Facebook. No, go on YouTube because I'm trying to learn to meditate. And I meditated in the I parking lot. I saw you pull in. So I, ca- I got here when you got here. Late. Were you late? Well, I think you were earlier, but... Then I put I started listening to a meditation tape, and then I actually a YouTube. You burn incense in your car? You no, doing? and I fell asleep. It was a fifteen minute. That's what thing. I. That's what counts for meditation for me is sleeping. No, but that's what I'm wondering is. Uh, anyway, I mean, I'm just telling you, you ought to try one of the YouTube meditations. Okay, let me just make one final point here. Um, teaching a child reading. That that's a great thing. Writing that's tougher. Oh, that's harder. Because I'm telling you, I, I envy the people who grew up with really good English teachers who helped them to see that writing is a form of self-expression, yeah. a form of creativity. Whereas for me, it was always a task. Yeah. It was always go write ten pages on this topic that you have no interest yeah. in. And then as a as a kid, I'm going. I don't have that much to say. I'm not interested. And so that's when you start getting filler. Right. Where you just, you know, these run-on sentences. I know that it's possible for writing to be rewarding. Oh, it's beautiful. But most of my English teachers, and I suspect a lot of people's English teachers, taught them that it is a task to be avoided. I think you're right. And that's something we need to fix. I think you're right. I love writing, but then my wife edits everything I write. So I don't actually ever worry about the rules. She, no, she loves scorn. it. She, 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 it, she loves it. But then she critiques everything. So I was even signing an autograph the other day. Yeah, she, she give you smiley faces? She was correcting my what I wrote in this for this lady. Does she give you scratch and sniff stickers if you do well? Yeah, she just and a pat on the head. <laughs> She's like, "Attaboy, pal. Good, good writing. We'll try more tomorrow." That's how she says it. Mark Waite. He likes to be called the um, grammar Nazi. I'm really not that bad, but yeah. I do I do relish any opportunity to prove superiority over lesser and, individuals. And I love relish on hot dogs. Mm, okay. Okay. Two you two uses of the word relish. Pretty sure they're different. You can see or listen to Mark Waite's Classical eighty nine. If you have a really right big vocabulary right I'm now, he's got to get right in there. Now. And through the garage door, right here on BYU Radio, we're taking a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Wrapping up the Matt Townsend Show. Today we've been talking about literacy, reading, writing, and being learning. Smart. Being smart. Done being smart. We also have um, been talking about the upliftification of the world, which is one of the goals of the show. We also made up a word there, upliftification, from Mark Waite. Was it really made up or is it a real word? He made it up. Today I looked up the word. There's the assumer and the assumi. Now, assumi isn't a word. No, sumi is when an attorney's after you. Wow. Sumi. <laughs> <laughs> Suey is what you call, call a pig. pig. That's how you call a lady pig. pig, right? Is it? I don't know. That's what pig callers do. Suey. Matt, you shouldn't talk about me like that. <sighs> so we're going to wrap up the show. We thought, uh, what better way to do it than to play a game, right, Bryce? Indeed. Oh, oh, oh! There it is. Oh. There it is. Do you feel this? Do you feel the excitement of this show music? I'm excited. You're bobbing your head. I mean, I am excited because work is done in four minutes. But, but, <laughs> but first, we're gonna play a game. Are you smarter no, no, than no. a fifth grader? Wait, wait, that's trademarked. Are you dumber than a fifth grader? Okay, that's not trademarked. I don't think that we're is. not doing smarter we're because that is trademarked, and we want to respect their trade mark. It isn't really trademarked. I just wanted to call it. Are you dumber dumber than a fifth grader? I'm going to say yes. (laughs) And game over. All right. Wrap up the show. We're going to play the game. You Uh, and I, Victoria. You can can pipe in if you want. Wow. You don't have to. Um, As a result of the Missouri Compromise, what state was allowed to enter the Union on March 15th, 1820 to balance the admission of Missouri? Hmm. This is a little bit of U.S. history for you. Boy. You know what's sad is I'm taking American Heritage I would say... Missouri. No. New Jersey. Nope. Maine. Oh. Okay. All right. Maine. All right. Where's another good one? Um, in the 1850s. Hold the United- on. A fifth oh. grader would not know that. I'm pretty sure I probably knew that in Only grade. because they study that at that point in their life. Okay. Fifth graders in Maine would know that. Only in Maine. Right. Therefore, how much and of the population is that? That's Does right. it count? That's very small. <laughs> not a lot of Mainers. I, everyone knows that. Okay, give us another one. These are easy. Uh, the on. legendary American Indian leader, Geronimo, was a member of what tribe? Cherokee. Nope. Um, Geronimo would be the... If you make a skydiving joke, I will end the show. <laughs> <laughs> Geronimo! I have no idea. Apache. Oh. Mm. Because, you know, we're in Utah country where there's a mill. I was going to name Paiute, Ute, Go Shoot. But I only know the Utes. The Utes. Those are all Ute are. tribes. Oh, those are <laughs> divisions of the Ute tribe? Yeah. Apache didn't even think of that. Um, What composer wrote the 1812 overture? Barry Manilow. Nope. <laughs> 1812. Beethoven. <laughs> 1812. <laughs> the year 1812 wrote it. Mozart. What is it? Hold on. Barry Where is it? Where is it? Manilow. <laughs> He's that old. Oh. In a good way. It's Tchaikovsky. I thought it was a William Tell overture. Tchaikovsky. Yeah. I Tchaikovsky. don't even know who that is. I like is. him. This, see, this is why we need Merritt. Merritt would have known that. She would have. She would have. She would Merritt. Um, let's see. What's another one? Density describes the mass of an object divided by what? I know this. Oh, my gosh. The Science don't even divided ask. Divided by its weight. Uh, 
volume. Flip! I was going to say that. Were you? <laughs> no. You didn't know that one. I don't. I have no. I. I'm not a fifth grader. You're. You're clearly. We're all clearly dumber than a fifth grader. Uh, one last one. Copernicus, the legendary 16th century astronomer, was born in what? Country? Italy. Greek. Greece. Greek. <laughs> he was born in Greek. Uh, was it 12? I bet Sparta. Was, oh, actually, Sparta is the Athens. answer to the question before oh. this one. Darn it! But uh, <laughs> I learned to cheat in the Did fifth you? grade. Uh, uh, that would be John Matt, Winthrop. Matt, what is? John Rolfe? What is it? What is it? What is it? <laughs> Poland. Oh, it's Poland. Poland. It's Poland. It's Poland. Right? 12? Copernicus. 12? Polish. Yeah. No. Copernicus. Copernicus does not sound Polish. It doesn't, right? It does right? not. Sounds very um, Roman. Italian. Italian, yeah. Greek. All right. Well, it's official. Everyone on the Matt Townsend Show is dumber than a fifth grader. Except I think Merritt could have held her own. She's nah, just not nah. here. So. I know. But see, so... Maybe. Maybe I called her professor and said, hey, we're doing a game show on the show, and I really don't want us to all look bad. So could you make sure to have class? Just don't anybody tell her that we didn't look good. Just just pretend like we nailed it. And the glory was mine. Yeah. Okay. Again, another show. Teaching kids, reading, writing, arithmetic, and Copernicus was from Sparta. (laughs) Poland, but yeah. Or Poland. That's it, folks. We're done. The show is done. Our work is done. We'll be back tomorrow with more ideas, more tools to help you see the good in the world. Thanks for joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio.